If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Hi, my name is Isabella and I'm a Headstuff supporter because of Stephanie's basically. Uh, I support it because I like to be educated while I work out and if I'm ever asked for an opinion on something, I'd like it to be informed. You're listening to Basically. Hello and welcome to Basically. I am your host, Stephanie Preisner, and today we have another requested podcast for you all. Today in studio, well actually not on studio, on Zoom, I have the medical director of the Waterstones Clinic, Dr. John Waterstone, and he's here to answer, uh, well, to give us, to, to let us everything we wanted to know about sperm donation, but didn't have the courage to ask. Dr. John Waterstone, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm doing good. and uh, Thank you for having me. No problem at all. Um now you're going to have to explain this to me like I'm like I'm 12, let's say, okay? Because I have really no idea of of any of this. Could you start by telling us who are the main types of people who would come forward to access sperm donation? Uh I suppose it might be interesting to put it in a historical context. Please, uh, yeah. so when sperm donation was first used, it was really by say married couples who were struggling to have a baby. And it turned out to be the case that the guy had the problem and he had no sperms or very, very few sperms. And therefore, that couple were not going to have kids unless they could use uh, donated sperm from another man. So that's how the thing arose. Um, And that still is the case. Some of the patients who are looking for donor sperm in our clinic these days are couples like that. The guy has absolutely no sperm and... Some of those men, we can find sperm surgically and, and allow them to have a baby, even though there's no sperm coming out in their ejaculate. But there are some men and they just have no sperm, those couples. Can I ask you a question just from that? Would would a man know that that's an issue for him or would he not know because he's still ejaculating? No, no he's still ejaculating. Absolutely. No, he ejaculates. OK. Liquid, liquid comes out, but when you look at it under the microscope, there's no sperms there. So OK obviously comes as a bit of a shock to the men concerned when they do find out because generally they only find out when their partner is failing to conceive right okay. historically it was the first way it was used and, but these days it's broadened and now obviously we have same sex female couples they want to have a baby and they can only do so by using a sperm donor so they would be um, another category a big category of our patients who were looking to use donor sperm and more recently still um, single heterosexual women um, who don't have a partner um, are starting to use donor sperm and going in alone and deciding with some 
Mr. Wright hasn't come along. I'm getting older. If I don't have a baby soon, I may not be able to have a baby at all. So maybe we better panic and push the donor sperm button and, and have a baby that way. So those are the three kind of groups. Couples, man and a woman, man's got no sperm, same sex female couples, and, and, and more recently, and in increasing numbers probably, a single women who are choosing to use donor sperm um, and going it alone and having and basically being reconciled to being a single mother. And it's not, I mean, it's not that historical. In France, for instance, they've only just changed the laws there. Up to very, very recently in France, you could not use donor sperm if you were a same-sex female couple. You could not use donor sperm if you were a single heterosexual woman wanting to have a baby. You could only do so if you were part of a heterosexual couple who needed to use donor sperm. So I'm saying this is historical, but it's not that, hist- that it's not that going back that far. Um, uh, that it was only um, sort of heterosexual couples who would be yeah, using donor sperm. How long has it been allowed to be the case in Ireland that? Uh, um... we, well, we sort of have no laws. Uh, we are now some legislation drafting control of IVF and fertility and, and donor sperm and donor eggs um, is being drafted, has been drafted. And that draft legislation is being, this feedback has gone on. That it's with the uh, Attorney General's office and the Department of Health now with a kind of fine tuning. So we haven't had laws so far. So basically, so far in Ireland, there haven't been any laws telling people what they may or may not do. But in practice, uh, for many years in Ireland, if, you know, if you're one of a same-sex female couple and you want to use donor sperm, there hasn't been a problem. If you're a single woman want to use donor sperm, that hasn't been a problem either. Um, but it's, it's, it's not that it's allowed by law, it's just that there were no laws until now. But the laws that have been drafted are definitely allowing um, these things to happen. Okay, so let's let's go to, um, I, I mean, I suppose the process of acquiring the sperm is the same for each of the three types of people who... Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so, how, so, so say someone, so they come to your clinic and they say either we're having trouble getting pregnant or we are two women or I'm single. What What's the process from there? So basically there is not an Irish sperm bank. Um, so all of the donor sperm treatment that takes place in Ireland uh, is using donor sperm from, um, for some reason, two sperm banks, both of which are in Copenhagen, Denmark. Um, so that's where the donor sperm is coming from. Uh, we are now in the process of, of hooking up with an American um, sperm donation bank um, in Western so Western USA, but so far it's been sperm from Denmark. So the process for anybody who wants to know the nitty gritty details is the sperm donors obviously are screened extensively to make sure that they don't have any sexually transmitted diseases. They're questioned to make sure they don't have any family history of genetic disease that might be passed on to, onto a child. If they do, you wouldn't use them as a donor. So many people may apply to be a donor, but they're not all going to be accepted. Um, and then when they donate the sperm, the donor sperm is frozen and it's kept deep frozen, if you like, in the sperm bank. And the guys are retested um, for sexually transmitted diseases like HIV and Hep B a few months after they've donated to be absolutely sure that the donor sperm is safe to use. And then it sits there in the sperm bank until it's um, until a potential recipient of the donor sperm chooses it and, and um, it's then moved. So when it comes out, so then it's, as I say, deep frozen in the sperm bank in, in Copenhagen. It's then transported, still deep frozen, to our facility, say in Cork or in Dublin. Um, stays deep frozen, and then it's available to be used by the so woman who wants to become pregnant. Would the people who are wanting to use it like do they get do they get like a like a folder or an online? How do how do they choose? What are their? So it's becoming more sophisticated as time has gone by. Initially, you know, it was maybe just physical characteristics only. You know how 
tall was the guy? Was he, was he blonde or dark? Did he have blue eyes or green eyes? But increasingly, as time has gone by, it's become, if you like, a bit more like a dating agency. You do get a lot more information. And also, there are some donors for whom more information is available, such as maybe an adult photo. So women who are choosies, there is more information available now about the donor who could be the genetic parent of their child than was the case, say, 10, 15 years ago. So more and more information is becoming available as time goes by. Uh, and now, say, if you pay a little bit more, you can actually get an adult photo of the guy who is your potential sperm donor. And are there any people or cases where people come to you and are like, look, I don't care what he looks like. I just you just order it. And <laughs> or or do they generally? I suppose some women are more choosy than others. Some women will agonize and agonize and agonize and take ages to pick a donor because they're choosy. Other women say, oh, I just want to get pregnant and I'm not so pushed. But yeah. they're going to have to make some choices about Okay, eye, so, eye color, hair color. So there is a profile, uh, and for some men, it's a more extensive profile. And maybe, as I say, sometimes including um, fo- adult photos, so you know exactly what the guy looks like. Do you notice anything interesting in the diff? Are you part of that process, or and do you notice something different between heterosexual couples, same-sex couples, and individuals? I, I, I'm presuming that in- I'm not in the middle. So we have donor sperm coordinators. We have a couple okay. of the fertility nurse specialists who really only deal with that. So. T- Day to day, I'm not involved with that. So I'm not sure if, say, different categories of people have different ways that they choose their, their donor. I just presume, I'm just presuming that like a heterosexual couple might look for the profile to look similar to the guy. The, the guy. I think that's a fairly safe assumption. Yes, yes. But then like if you're, if you're, if you're a same sex couple, what are your, anyway, that's, that's not. What's your thing. ideal man? I don't know. What do you want this guy to look like? We could speculate endlessly. We could, we could be talking about this for a week. <laughs> so then they say, okay, we've picked our person and it's been coordinated and the sperm comes in. How, what time frame are we talking here from the moment that they come to you and realise that they're going to need a sperm donor? So if I'm sitting in a consultation in Cork or in Dublin and a woman says, I want donor sperm doctor and I want it as soon as possible. Um, so you're talking about two to three months until it is in our freezer in Cork or Dublin ready to be used. Okay. At that sort of time frame. Two to three months. In the meantime, we, we insist on counselling. There's no charge for it, but um, anybody's using donor sperm, donor eggs, donor embryos, we just feel that it's sensible for them to talk to somebody who's not medical, but is, you know, as a familiar with the area to make sure they've thought carefully about what they're choosing to do and are happy having spoken to the counselor to go ahead and and and, and keep going and, and use the donor sperm. But as I say, that's, that, that happens along the way, often by Zoom. So it's not, a, it doesn't hold anything up. And in those, um, in, in those two to three months while you're awaiting the sperm, um, we did a podcast on IVF um, a few months back and they were talking about, you know, like all of the medications that you have to take in the run up to it. In those two to three months, is the woman sort of taking stuff to prime her to receive this? We would, yeah, well, we would be talking to her from the very start about how do we use the donor sperm? And essentially there are two ways of using it. There's the simpler way, which is just insemination. Mm-hmm. And that means not a whole lot of medications for the woman. We basically want to target the day that she's ovulating in the cycle, you know, somewhere in the middle of the cycle, so we know exactly the day that she's going to be releasing the egg. And then on that day, we thaw some of the donor sperm uh, and then it's injected inside the womb with a fine plastic sort of tube. It's no more traumatic than, say, a smear test. It feels similar to what a smear test would feel like, less, basically less uncomfortable. So that's, in, that's we call that IUI. So you can use the donor sperm in our IUI and most of the younger patients would do that. Uh, but you can also use an IVF, uh, an IVF, although it's more expensive um, and there's more to it. You have to have an egg collection. It's also more successful per cycle. So sometimes our older patients who are coming to us wanting to use donor sperm, 
they, you know, they may be 38, 39, 40, 41, and they know that their age is against them. They know that maybe, you know, they, it mightn't work. They mightn't get pregnant at all. So sometimes those women, they choose to use a donor sperm, which has been imported, not in IUI, but in IVF from the start, because they, they're afraid of spending the time and money and getting the donor sperm and then not becoming pregnant at all. And so you can use it basically an IUI or IVF. If the woman chooses to use an IUI, we would insist on doing a tube test beforehand, which would take place in those two or three months to make sure that the tubes are both open. Because if the tubes are blocked, you could be using the, you could be oh, doing IUI forever tubes. and it wouldn't work. Yes. So okay. we don't want, you know, you don't, you don't want that. So you, we would insist on a, on a tube test if the plan is to use the donor sperm in IUI treatment rather than IVF treatment. In IVF treatment, the tubes don't come into it. So you don't need to test the tubes um, if you're aiming to do IVF. And just a quick question. Um, can you use can can you use someone's sperm who you know, like if they volunteer? Okay, so that is an interesting question. The legislation which is being drafted and under consideration is allowing a possibility. We are just been licensed to do that. And if you look at egg donation, which is kind of analogous, we are certainly using known donors. Oftentimes women who use a, need a donor egg are bringing in a sister or a friend or whatever. So we've done it. On the female side, when we need donor eggs, but we we think we should be doing it on the male side. We've been licensed. We are not starting it yet. So okay. please, 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 uh, we don't want an avalanche of phone calls over the next couple of weeks. I've been warned about this before I came and talked to you. Yes, okay. Saying, can we, I've got I've got a pal and he's, you know, well, he's not my partner, but he's going to give me sperm and can we do that? You can't do it yet, no. But once we, once the service is available and it will be available next year, uh, we will be advertising that fact. Uh, but certainly, yes, it is possible for you, for a woman who says, listen, I don't want to use just any old person that I don't know. I'm, there is a guy I know. He's not my partner, but he's happy to give me sperm and I'm very happy to use the sperm. Um, so the legislation that is being has been drafted is allowing that possibility. Um, yep. And so if that will, I guess, so that'll be next year. How much of that cost reduction would that sit like? How much is this whole process? So ballpark figures, the sperm in the sperm banks comes in straws. So the donors, when they ejaculate, it's split up into straws, um, which are frozen. Uh, and usually on average, women who are going to use donor sperm, bring in three straws and it's expensive. Uh, the straws cost, depending on the profile uh, and the, like say, whether if you were looking for photos of adult photos of the donor, it would be more expensive, somewhere between 800 and 1200 euros per straw. And people usually bring in three straws. You're talking about 2,500 maybe for three straws. And then there's a, some, a few hundred euros to, to import it. So you're probably talking about 3,000 euros to get in the average amount of sperm that donor sperm that women normally get in. And does and is it like one straw per like how much do you put in each time? One straw, yeah. So if you're doing an IOS cycle, you'd use one straw. Once okay. you thought, uh, you you tend to use it, yeah. And then um would okay, so so that would be that expense if, if you could use a like a friend's sperm if they were giving it to you next year if that was a thing. But there's still obviously the cost of the, cost the process of the actual IUI, the, the, actual, the, IUI. the treatment cycle. Yeah, yeah. And so how it's much? About nine, it's about nine hundred euros for an IUI cycle. Okay, so and that includes still, all the scans, all the treatments. If you get pregnant, pregnancy scans. So, but yeah, it's not it's, it's, it's not cheap. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's not cheap, uh, but it's and, much more cheap than IVF. For, well, from the podcast, yeah, I did. yeah, yeah. yeah. Taking a break from the episode to bring you an ad because this podcast is only possible because of our sponsor. Supporting our sponsor supports the podcast. 
and let me tell you about who they are. Rockwell's financial planning service is designed for anyone who feels as if they kind of need to just put a shape on their finances. I don't know if you're like me, you kind of feel like, oh, my finances are all over the place. I need to kind of start adulting. This is the service for you. Whether you're like a senior executive in a multinational company or a small business owner or just a young couple looking to get a head start in your financial planning, a single person who wants to make plans for their future, So they consider themselves financial doers rather than financial planners, which I really like because it's active. It's not just like um, namby-pamby sort of making a plan. doesn't matter where you are in the country. They're happy to help you in person or over Zoom. Pensions and investments are really important, but they're absolutely useless without knowing why you're using them and what you're using them for. They are in the outcomes business. They are in the business of results. So it's not just about the plan, it's about the action. So they use this like award-winning investment advice to help their clients achieve their goals. And they have a special offer for you listening right now, for Basically listeners. If you go to rockwellfinancial.ie forward slash basically, you can book a complimentary financial planning session today. You'll get a cash flow model which outlines any gaps in your finances and they'll give you the first steps to achieving your specific goals. I highly recommend Rockwell and I think as a Basically listener, you should definitely check it out. It's free. It's going to put you on the right path to getting your finances in order. That's it. Go to rockwellfinancial.ie forward slash basically. Hey, if you're listening to this, you've probably noticed that this episode wasn't introduced by me. It was introduced by someone who very, very kindly supports my podcast by being a Headstuff Podcast Network member. Headstuff Plus member. Look, I don't know what it's called. Either way, they're legends. If you are one of those people and you want to introduce an episode of my show, just go to www.speakpipe.com forward slash basically. Just taking a break from this episode to let you know about another podcast on our network that I think you're going to love. It's a new podcast called Agony Rants and it's with Garode Farley and Niamh Kavanagh. Remember, she won the Eurovision for Ireland. Anyway, it's a great podcast. They just answer your questions and react to your stories on a certain topic. And the first episode is out now. So have a listen, get a sense of what it is. And then maybe you could send in a topic or a question and be part of the show. Agony Rants, coming soon to the Headstuff Podcast Network. Why can't I not say podcast? Hello, I'm Gerard Farrelly. And I'm Neve Kavanagh. And we have been friends for a very long time. And that is what we are offering you on our new podcast, Agony Rants. If you need a support group and want to tell us a secret. Or if you need someone to champion you or just cheer you up. Or maybe even some advice. On how to burn down a house or blow up your life or get revenge. So send your secrets, stories and problems to agonyrants at gmail.com. Agony Rants, coming soon to the Headstuff Podcast Network. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. It sounds a little suggestive, I'm not going to lie. Like, yeah, it was a little bit. It's very Cadbury's Caramel Bunny. <laughs> okay, so we have, we have our sperm. We've either done IVF or IUI. With it, yeah. With it. So... What happens then? So say if it let's yeah. So what happens then if it, you have that awful week, two weeks, isn't it, of waiting? Dreadful two weeks waiting, which is probably the worst part of the whole process. And if you even talk to people in IVF, which is much more complicated, they still say it's still bloody two weeks waiting to find out has it worked, has it not worked. That are the most agonising, the most stressful. Uh, but after two weeks, you do a urine pregnancy test. If it's positive, then we do two pregnancy scans. Uh, we do one at six weeks gestation, which would be four weeks after the actual IUI or IVF took place. Uh, and then at that point, if it's worked, we should see uh, a little, not a fetus yet, but we should see sack. the pregnancy sack. And yeah. then we do a second pregnancy scan two weeks later. 
and if all is well, we definitely see a little fetus with a heartbeat. And um, if everything looks good on the eight-week scan, it's unlikely you're going to miscarry after that. You're almost home and dry at that point. And and at that point, at what point does it sort of go back into just like normal maternity hospital care? Yeah, if, if on the eight-week scan, everything looks hunky-dory. And we're saying, yeah, this looks good, looks viable. Um, we think this is, you're going to have a baby then. And they would then go off and book for antenatal care. And from the point of view of the pregnancy, the people in the maternity hospital don't necessarily know it's a donor sperm baby unless somebody tells them. Um, so the pregnancy is, it, it, you don't expect it to be any different than any other pregnancy in terms of how it's going to work out or complications in pregnancy. It'll be just the same as any other pregnancy that you, you wouldn't expect it to be any different. I should point out actually that the, 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 the new legislation which is coming in is quite intrusive. Um, and people are listening to the podcast. Well, in the in the in the past, we in Denmark, the sperm donors are allowed to be either anonymous. That means that you can never identify, and you could a child could never meet them in the future, or identifiable. Uh, but the new Irish laws that have come in are making it illegal in the future. Well, from now on, really, uh, to use an anonymous donor. That means they own if if egg or sperm donation takes place on Irish soil under the new laws that have been, are being introduced. You cannot, the donor can't be anonymous. It has to be an identifiable person. And also uh, the people concerned, you know, the, the mother or if it's the couple, the, the mother and the father, their, their details go into a new donor conceived person's register and the child's details go into a donor conceived person's register. And there's a, there's a slightly different process for birth registration. So it's quite intrusive of, why, of people's why privacy. Is, what's the need to delineate there? <sighs> Listen, don't start me off. Uh, I spent a lot of time struggling against this this legislation, which I think has gone too far in terms of the state interfering in the privacy of people's reproductive lives. Um, and when you think about GDPR and how you know how that's more or less saying that data should never be shared, that it doesn't need to be, the amount of intrusion this new legislation will bring about is, I think, it's gone too far. But anyway, that's that's the situation. So people wanting to use donor sperm, if they tell the maternity hospital this is a donor sperm baby, then there would be a different birth registration process. But if they well, don't, presumably, if it's if they it's don't the tell same, the maternity hospital, then who's going to know? Like who's going to know? But well, if you're a same-sex couple, or, obviously or it's or obvious a there. Woman. Yes, but if if you're a single woman, then you you could just be a single parent. You don't necessarily. It is, oh, okay. So you just could be like a one-night stand. You just don't. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Well, that's good to know if you don't want to have to deal with that. Um, well, there are, I mean, there are, and there are even couples who are saying, listen, I don't want my egg donation. I'm going to go abroad and have it because I don't actually want my privacy invaded. I don't want to be part of this registration process. Um, and I'll choose to go abroad and have my sperm donation, or I'll choose to go to Spain and have my egg donation because I don't particularly want to be put in a register. And in that case, would they have to be there for the whole nine months gestation? No, no, no. Oh, just have it. People, but people do not go abroad so much for egg for sperm donation, which is what we're talking about now. But for egg donation, it's very, very common. When you get onto that, you'll find it's there's an incredible amount of reproductive tourism going on for for egg donation. People from Ireland and England and Scandinavia go off to other European countries, like Spain and Czech Republic and Greece, even America for egg donation treatment. So um, that's the big thing: traveling okay. for egg donation, not so much for sperm donation. Um. So then, legally like will this change like does the donor uh, exactly ownership of the baby totally we should be talking about that because particularly supposing you're supposing you're thinking next year of using somebody you know uh, as a sperm donor he's going to want to know well like am i on the hook here like am i going to be considered the father like could i could this child potentially in the future be looking for half of my farm sort of thing so no <laughs> yeah 
the new legislation spelled it out very, very clearly. The woman who has bears the child, who gives birth to the child, she is the legal mother. Her partner, if she has one, is the legal father. Nobody else is concerned. If it's donation, the sperm donor does not have any resp- legal responsibilities or rights. Um, so it is totally black and white in the new legislation. So anybody who's thinking in the future about being a known sperm donor for somebody that he knows, he's not going to be considered a parent in any sense. He uh, will have no responsibilities. There will be no inheritance issues. He's just a sperm donor. Um, so there is the, the new legislation is useful in that regard. And um, I've heard a few people, um, particularly same-sex couples, having an issue with the, not ownership, but like being officially a parent, that the person, the woman who carries the child is the mother, but that the other woman is not legally a parent of the child. Exactly. That was an issue until this new legislation Oh, great. So that's gone. Came into being. So the new legislation caters for that dissatisfaction, which was a very reasonable dissatisfaction. If you're a married, same-sex female couple, there was that issue that under the old system, before we had the new laws, um, the non-birth mother, um, she was not, you know, she wasn't recognized as a legal parent, but that that is being fixed. Um, So uh, that problem has gone away and that has been sorted out by the new legislation. Um. So can you talk to us a little bit more, just more generally about women who are using donors without a partner? Because I know that a lot of, like a lot of, well, anecdotally, some of my friends are getting very tired of the dating apps and wondering like, should they should they freeze their eggs? Should they get a donor or should they get donor sperm and just go for it? What's your experience of, of, of that increased clientele? Yeah, it is definitely a thing. I mean, I've been doing this job for whatever 25 30 years uh, and really that's a phenomenon which is now starting to take off increasingly we're seeing well increasingly we're seeing women the women who come into our clinic whether they're in a relationship or whether they're not are, are, are older and older mm-hmm. the years are going by and that sometimes is depressing because people just come to us and they're sufficiently old that it's just impossible to get them pregnant without using a donor egg but we're increasingly seeing basically women in their mid-30s late 30s mr wright hasn't come along it wasn't their initial choice. It wouldn't have been their life's dream to use donor sperm, but they're in a situation where they know that if they don't get pregnant and have a baby soon, they may never be able to do so. So what are they going to do? And the options really boil down to if they're going to do something proactive, um, either freezing their eggs in the hope that Mr. Sprite will come along and they can use their frozen eggs to have a baby, um, even though they have become older in the meantime, or to saying, oh, to hell with Mr. Wright, let's just use donor sperm and get pregnant right now. So, and we are seeing those women increasingly um, and donor sperm is one of the options. Yeah, I'm, I, I feel uneasy about it slightly um, because, you know, my clinic of which I'm the medical director is offering the service. Does that mean I'm promoting the service? Sometimes I feel a little bit sad about it, you know, that, you know, with, there's this trend and women say, oh, we don't need men. What, what good are men? So let's just use a sperm donor. And, and I mean, having a baby, even as a couple is tough enough, but doing it on your own is, is tougher still. Um, so, like I had a woman recently, she was only about 32, came in and wanted to use donor sperm. And I said, well, we can do it, but are you absolutely sure this is what you want to do? Like, you know, you have a donor sperm baby and then maybe it's going to make it harder to find Mr. Wright in the future. And she said, to hell with Mr. Wright. She said, all of my friends have got partners, several of them got kids, the guys involved are, you know, most of them are wasted space. <laughs> 
Um, and I'm just looking at my possibilities and I just don't see Mr. Right in the horizon. So I think to hell, I'm just going to use a sperm donor. I'm, I'm, at least I can tr- control what happens in my life then. Mm-hmm. End up with the guy that I don't really like, who isn't reliable and, you know, doesn't bring in a good wage. What's, what's the point? She was being totally pragmatic about it. And I thought, well, okay, fair enough. But I suppose I just felt a little bit sad about somebody dispensing with the possibility of, of Mr. Wright coming along and just saying, I'll just use a donor, sperm donor. But on the other end of it, you have seen women who find Mr. Wright too late and are like sort of like constitutionally incapable of having a baby then. Totally. And it is depressing. Uh, we see it all the time. Women so are walking into my depressing. clinic and they're 41, 42, 43, 44. And I've got to say, say to them, listen, like, you know, we can only do so much. Uh, but we can't, as you get older, your egg quality diminishes. And, and if you're beyond age 41, you'd be very lucky, no matter what we do, to have a baby. And then that, that is, you're right, that's depressing too. But I mean, it's get, just most... At 41, let's say, if you if you then get an egg donation, are you able to carry a pregnancy? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's not a problem. So yeah, I say this is oh, yeah. something, if you go, if you do another podcast on yes, egg donation, we, we can go into the details of that. But yeah, no, the, the women can carry like, I mean, it, it's, it is crazy, but I mean, women age, I don't know what the record is, but women in their 60s have had babies through egg donation because as you age beyond, say, age 41, your eggs are no longer good enough to, to produce a baby, but the womb doesn't really change. So oh, okay. uh, with egg donation, women can have a baby at any age, but and normally the cutoff is about 50, 51. With- uh, with this sperm donation, um, if you decided to do it, um, it would probably have to be with IVF. Could you, like, could that single person or any of the or any of the people coming to you decide? Actually, I want twins. Can you request that? Uh, you can do. We there's been a general move around the world, kind of saying, listen, IVF is producing too many twins. Uh, basically, it boils down. If you have IVF, you put back embryos, and the question is, how many do you put back? Uh, and for a while, the norm was put by two. But if you've always put by two embryos in IVF, you will get a lot of twins, maybe in a good unit, good standards, maybe 25 to 30% of your pregnancies will be twins. Uh, and sometimes twins can go very pear-shaped. They can deliver very prematurely. Um, and if they do deliver very prematurely, it's a lot of expense for neonatal care to look after the little babies. And if you deliver very, very prematurely, they may die or they may be permanently damaged because they only just survive. That's the kind of worry about twins. But no, if a woman comes to us, obviously they're warned. But if they said, listen, I really, really, really want to have twins because, um, you know, I'm 41. And if it works, mm-hmm. I just I wouldn't, mind, I wouldn't mind just getting it all over and done with and have twins. That's it, done, dusted. Uh, but yeah, if they insisted, we'd say yes. But um, so long as there wasn't any medical contraindications, sometimes we see somebody we think that they are very likely to have a premature delivery anyway for some medical reason then we say listen no it'd be crazy to give you twins but generally no if you had ivf and somebody said yes i want twins we could then put back two embryos which is what we used to always do uh, but then i say um, you might end up with, with twins and usually things go fine and the babies do not deliver so prematurely that it's a big issue but there is a small possibility so if people are listening to this and they're thinking about um they're thinking about the s- sperm donation for any number of reasons that we have gone into. You're saying it's going to be around two to three months from when you make the decision and it's going to cost about, like, a, including, like, importing fees, a thousand euro per straw and you get about three straws. So that's three thousand euro plus uh, the IUI and the scans, which is, let's say, in and around just under another thousand euro. Yeah. It's only about four thousand euros. Four thousand euro. Minimum. Yep. Minimum. And then, um, 
but it seems like it's much it seems like it's much more simple than than egg donation and if you don't do IVF it seems quite simple in terms of logistics and operationally but obviously there's that sort of emotional stuff which you also support yeah yeah but no it's not it's not it isn't that complicated um no it's not that complicated big decisions do you want to do it i mean that's a big decision and it's a, obviously a major decision i mean who you whether a woman probably the biggest lifetime decision a woman makes is do i want to have kids do i not and if i do who am i going to have them with and if i don't have somebody to have them with am i going to use donor sperm i mean these are major major decisions and there's no point glossing over them saying they're not they are and they're not easy decisions to make Um, but women have got to be aware there is that biological clock ticking and if um, they hit 35 no plans for a baby they're starting to take chances that it may never happen for them so you've got to bear these biological realities in in mind when women go through their reproductive lives it's easier for men men can dilly-dally because we can have kids whenever we want really well, this is the problem that people are facing, that men are like monopolising women's reproductive years and then breaking up with well, them and going off. Well, that is a major issue. A crime, yeah. like, yeah. It is, it is a bit criminal. Uh, so, you'd, yeah, I'd be saying to any guy who listens to this podcast, you know, don't waste a woman's time. If you're with a woman, she's 30 to 35 and you know she wants to have kids with you. If you are going to, if you're not going to step up to the plate, I mean, let the lady know earlier rather than later because you don't want to waste your time. And then she finds herself at age 38 and failing to get pregnant because she's wasted her valuable reproductive years so it's an issue yeah so if it's just some assembly it's it's back to kind of it's back to effective contraception it's you know which is unhinged sex from from reproduction uh i mean it's it's unbelievable my mother didn't want to have any kids you know Uh, she ended up having four kids because like then you know married women it was illegal for them to use contraception i mean people who are in their 20s and 30s now think that's insane. I couldn't yeah. believe the case, but it is the case. Like fifty years ago, you know, and now because because contraception has become so effective, uh, it means don't women don't get pregnant when they don't want to, and so there is this element of uh, of choice. And men, I suppose, in the past had to get married to have sex, but they don't have to do that anymore. So, so to some extent, men can afford to not commit and have a good time because they know, in the day, they can still have a kid when they're 40, 50, 60. Whereas women, there is that clock ticking, which is dreadful, but um, it's very real. Um, do you, I had another question there, which was, oh yes. So if there's a heterosexual couple listening to this, how long, how how long should they be trying before they start looking at whether it's a sperm issue or maybe an egg issue? Yeah, we normally say, kind of, if 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 it's been a year, if you haven't used contraception for a year as a couple and a pregnancy hasn't. Uh, materialized it's time to get investigations done but if the woman concerned is maybe in her late 30s i would say if you're trying for six months and it hasn't happened you should be getting checked out and if you're over 40 just a couple of months can get on with it uh, because if he is you know if his sperm is a problem and it's really really bad and you need help and there's no way you're going to get pregnant naturally you want to find out sooner rather than later so that you don't waste time so the the length of time that people try before they seek investigations to some extent depends on how old the woman is and because this is a sperm episode how much do the sperm investigations cost Oh, it's cheap. I don't know. 100 euros or something. It's not that's, that's oh, grand, cheap. Okay. It's, it's, it's easy. Uh, um, so, no, that's cheap. So, yeah, so it generally, I think it's sensible for couples to get a sperm analysis test on early on just to make sure. I mean, most times the sperm is going to be perfect and that isn't the issue. But if it is the issue, then by not finding out soon, you're, you're, wasting, you're wasting time. 
Um, okay, Dr. Watson, do you think there's anything else that we need to know? We haven't touched on. Um, I think we've covered, think we've covered most of it. Um, but yeah, it is, I say, it is from a societal point of view, it is a, it's an interesting area. And with this uh, new legislation that's coming in, just to touch on that before we finish, do you have to tell the child that they're a donor child? <laughs> you won't believe this. The new legislation is saying that if a donor conceived child in the future who's gone through this registration process, uh, if the parents don't tell the child that it was the product of, say, sperm donation, when the child looks for a copy of its birth certificate at age 18 or more, the state will inform the child that it was donor conceived. Oh my God, it's like that and episode of Friends. Degree, that, is a, tells... that is a degree of intrusion, which I think is unconstitutional. It really is very major. But anyway, the advice always is to tell the, the child concerned. So uh, when anybody comes through the clinic, our clinic or any other clinic, wanting to use donor sperm, donor egg, they're going to be told by the doctors, they're going to be told by the counsellors that the wise thing is to tell the child. And even from a pragmatic point of view, if you don't tell the child and then the child finds out some other way, it's going to cause all sorts of you know, distrust and anger that, that they weren't informed. So everybody, the advice always is, um, if there's a donor conceived child, best to tell the child. Um, it's an interesting From an, from an early it? age, from an early age. But so like at what, how early is a child meant to understand how the process some of conception? Some couples who are very keen on the telling thing, tell, tell it's called telling. Um, yeah, I think from very, I mean, even from six, seven onwards, just say, yeah, some, supposing it's a, you know, supposing it's a heterosexual couple, he's got no sperm. Yeah, well, a very kind man helped us to have a baby. And so you just introduced the idea very, very early on. Right. Okay. Uh, but some couples, I think, historically probably have been advised to tell their child that they, they were the product of, of sperm donation and, and have chosen not to do so. You can't make people, but this new legislation is making people. Mm-hmm. So, And is that a fait accompli that's, that's passed now? Pretty much, but I say it's with the uh, attorneys, uh, the attorney, it's in the attorney general's uh, office, so they may be looking at it. And certainly I've, my view on it has been, it's been so intrusive, really. It's gone pretty much further than any other country has gone. I think it's just too much intrusion. And there are other clinics who provide, there are other clinics who provide this apart from Waterstones Clinic. Would your colleagues oh, yeah. at those places also agree with you that this is this is too far? Uh, there's been it was all debated extensively. It's anybody wants to Google it. There was it's been Googled, it's been considered by the um Rockless Joint Health Committee. Um it's all online if people want to look at it. So um, I think my views would be shared by the majority of people in the area, the majority of doctors and fertility nurses and scientists who work in IVF. Uh, some people did not agree so strongly. They didn't object as strenuously as I did. Mm-hmm. But um, I just think they're... I just think that the constitutionally, the, the family and the individual has got rights to privacy and, and to not being interfered with by the state. And I think this law just goes a little bit too far in terms of that sort of intrusion. And that's my that's my personal view. Well, Dr. John Waterstone, thank you so much. We will let you get back to providing sperm and eggs and fertility <laughs> treatments to the masses. Um, if people want to find out more about your clinic or the services you provide, where can they find you? Uh, they can just Google us, Waterstone Clinic. So we're our big centres in Cork and Dublin, but we have outlying clinics in um, Kildare, in Waterford and Limerick. Um, but our big labs are in Dublin and in Cork. Great. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, that is another episode of Basically. If you have any questions, you can email me at basically at headstuff.org with any other requests for podcast topics. We are produced by the Headstuff Podcast Network. Our music is by Only Ruin and our graphic design is by Kahalo Gara. Catch you next week.
This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Thank <laughs> you.